Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast, folks. For Willamette Week, I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Today is March 20th, and we are bringing you episode 12 of the podcast. This episode is all about traffic. Now, before you yawn and switch to a podcast that's not about traffic, of which I'm sure there are several, let me tell you that this topic is far more interesting than it sounds at first. And we'll get into it. Don't worry. We'll break it down for you. But first, the 90 Second News Flash. Representative Earl Blumenauer has introduced legislation that would allow cannabis businesses safer access to banking. Someone's been listening to the Dive podcast because we talked about on episode 10 the dangers of selling weed due to the constraints of the federal illegality. Is is that a word? I don't know. Seems like a word. The big news this week were the eight people who were gunned down at Asian spas in Atlanta. What some are fearing is the beginning of a pattern of violence against Asian Americans. Multnomah County prosecutors discussed the events in Atlanta and the importance of looking after discriminated groups in Portland. Oregon is giving out 24,000 vaccinations a day, but we are expected to double those dose numbers with increased federal supply of the vaccine. City Hall is re evaluating its carbon emissions bill that we looked at in episode five, actually. I'm starting to feel like this podcast is a real mouthpiece for change. I mean, I don't know. We can say it's other things, but I'm happy to take the credit here. Portland Police Association president has resigned after his handling of the misreported hit and run that implicated Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. The Timbers and Thorns plan to bring fans back in the parks this spring, and Blazers are awaiting Moda to okay their plans to allow some fans back shortly. <sighs> Looking up, folks. This has been the 90 Second News Flash. Grateful for the little things I love. Now it's time for our main story. We start off with an interview of Letitia Jensen, a staff reporter who co-authored this week's cover story. In this week's cover, Letitia and Nigel Jayquist looked at the pedestrian deaths that have rocked the east side of Portland. In the last several years, 41 out of Portland's 48 pedestrian deaths have occurred east of the Willamette, and a large portion of those have happened east of 82nd Avenue. Letitia looked at police reports and spoke to people who lost loved ones to traffic. I started off asking Letitia about the background of the story and how the story came about. Let's listen in. When I was reading who it disproportionately affected, it made sense to me um, that disabled people, seniors, would have a harder time getting across the street. Um, But explain to me why Black people are being disproportionately uh, harmed by these traffic uh, lanes. Um, Is it just that Black people live near East of 82nd more than uh, non or more than white people? Um, actually that's part, that's a very minor part of it, but, um, 
the main, so there's three main reasons for these pedestrian fatalities that could be fixed by the city and the speed, lighting, and the width of the streets. And so the one that affects black people the most is the lighting. And um, oftentimes in East Portland, there'll be one side of the street that's lit and the other side doesn't have any street lights or there will be street lights and they'll be super high up and you could barely see, like they don't do the job of what a street light should be doing. And so when black Portlanders are walking down a poorly lit street at night and all of the black people who died during the two, that two year span were black and they died at night. So uh, that is a very huge factor is the poor lighting in the streets that's that's impacting that. Letitia, you write a lot of different beats. You cover a lot of different things, breaking news and politics, but you also talk about, you also write for Willamette Week a lot about uh, minorities and people of color. When you're working on an article like this, are you trying to, are you like automatically thinking, okay, well, this is my expertise. And so I want to try to include something like this, or does it just automatically, whenever you're writing about something in Portland, it just seems to uh, include some way that it affects uh, people of color disproportionately? Yeah, a big part of my work at the Limit Week is covering racial disparities in the city. And I think racial disparities are present in every single aspect of society. Um, just because of institutional racism. But um, when I'm writing my articles, it's just kind of, it's something that comes naturally to me as one of the only people of color on staff. So it is just um, something that I tend to write about and something that's I, I, could, I see clearly. And so writing an article like this, I mean, none, none of it really surprises me. In these numbers, you break down in the article and you did earlier on in our interview about how so many of the, I think 41 out of 48 of the people who were killed um, in the past couple of years by traffic, uh, by cars, um, have been east of the Willamette River. And people talk about how there's more wealth uh, on the on, on the west side per capita. Um, is that playing a role? Is the, is the wealth disparity and maybe the socioeconomic disparity, is that something that's impacting the roads and making them more dangerous? Oh, absolutely. So none of the deaths between that two years span happened in Northwest Portland, and I believe only three of them happened in Southwest. And as anybody who is striving in that area can see that the people who live there have more, they have, are definitely wealthier. And um, the further east you go, whether you're driving or going on the bus, you could see kind of the street, the streets get wider. Um, it just looks a little bit more, it, not, it just, it's more lower income neighborhoods and it's very clear to, to anybody. Vision Zero, they spent $120 million. You talked about it earlier. And the goal is to have zero uh, vehicle-related fatalities by 2025 in Portland. Um, other than just being a horrible name, um, I hate that Vision Zero is just a horrible name. Um, what are they doing right, and, and what can they be improving? Well, they have, like I said, they've lowered the speed limits a little bit uh-huh. in um, many areas of the city. But what they could be doing is, I think, I think lighting is just a huge, huge thing. Um, and it's very noticeable in East Portland that that is something that is missing. So I think they just need to make more intentional steps. And and also what I think they needed to do, one of the people I interviewed um, for the story who lost a family member to traffic fatalities nearby their ho- near their house said that they wish that the city would knock on their door and knock on East Portland doors and be like, hey, 
we are looking to reconfigure this area, what kind of issues are you seeing? And just kind of get their perspective rather than doing something and then not sure if that's actually what the residents themselves who who live there need. Mm. In the article, you talk about this nonprofit providing you with thousands of pages of documents. Um, and I know that Nigel, who you co-wrote this story with, I know he likes reading boring documents. But did you guys really read all of it? Or, or when this stuff happens, is there a way that a journalist, take us behind the curtain a little bit, is there a way that a journalist you know, can get through a couple thousand pages of work uh, or of reading uh, in a faster way than, than maybe I can? Um, well, for me personally, Command F is my, my best friend. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but I, I would say, I mean, we, 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 you know, you kind of skim over it and then you, you figure out, okay, what do I need to be focusing on? Cause there's going to be a lot of stuff in there that's completely irrelevant to what we want to be focusing on. Right. Was there anything in the police reports that surprised you? Actually, there's, there's a couple things that surprised me. One of them was, um, the fact that all three of those people were just a couple minutes away from their own homes when they got hit and killed. So they were, you could basically see their homes from where they were killed. Um, It really puts in your head that it's not just like, sometimes these are just dumb kids who are in the dark and they don't know where they are and they don't really know how to get across the street. These are people who are actually taking their life in their hands every single time they are crossing the street, like Ms. Hardesty said, or Commissioner Hardesty said. Um, So that, 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 I feel like that's something that sticks out to me when you, when you know how close they are to their homes. The title of the article is like kind of, you need to slow down. What can we do as drivers other than just slowing down? Is that just, is it just that simple? Do we need to slow down? That's a huge part of it because when I was walking down um, Southeast Dark Street, I was like, I saw, like it said the speed limit is 30 miles per hour, but it definitely feels as if people are going at least 10 over that. Um, And these streets are extremely wide and straight and so it's just a perfect street for drivers to to speed down and they might miss the unmarked crosswalks um, or they might just be careless. But I would say, yeah, slowing down is a huge part of this um, and acknowledging and, the, the speed limits. Yeah, and some of these streets, like not only unmarked crosswalks, but some of them don't even have crossing lights at a, at a convenient area, right? That's just, yeah. that's crazy. I remember I, I've tried to, I've crossed some of those streets before and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's as bad as everybody says. So so let me ask this. Um, so you had probably the gut-wrenching job of, like you said, going up to people's houses and asking them to remember and relive times when probably the worst day of their life when somebody that they love um, was, was hit and killed needlessly. Um, what was that experience like and what did you take away from that? It's always really hard to to approach somebody who's going through something really, really hard and then ask them questions about it. Right. Um, and honestly, I find myself like almost crying every time I, or when I was doing these interviews because you just got to like hold the tears in. Yeah. Um, you just really feel for these people. And you also probably get a good sense that these people aren't just names in a police report. These people had lives and communities, right? Mm-hmm. They were part of. Yeah. Like Isaac's father, um, 
he would, he just seemed like he was the type of person that was, that would just like spark up a conversation with anybody who would help right. somebody out in need when they need it. Like he said that he, his father would, he found out this, a lot of things out about him after he died, but people would come up to Isaac be like, Oh, I loved your father. I loved hanging out with him. Um, he was a great guy. He loaned me 50 bucks this one time. He would do my taxes or do like a trade of taxes because he was like known as the tax guy in the community. He just had such an impact on the community. Like at his at his funeral, a ton of people just showed up and he was like, are you sure you're at the right event? Like this is wow. for James McCree. And they were like, yeah, no, I loved your father. Speaking of Isaac McCree, let's talk to him. Isaac is the son of James McCree, one of the many black men who have died due to the large street width, poor lighting, and fast drivers east of 82nd. He told us about the day his father died, and I asked him about what police and the public can do to increase pedestrian safety. Let's listen. So let's start with this. Take me through the day of February 2nd, 2019. Um, so, you know, it started as a normal day. Woke up, everything like normal, showered, got dressed, got, you know, ate and everything. Um, but before that I leave, um, I always, you know, make sure to go, you know, tell my parents, hey, by the way, you know, leaving, love you, bye. Uh, so I saw my dad in there uh, on his computer typing away, probably working on someone's taxes like he always does. Um, went in there, hey, you know, I'm going off to work now, I love you. Hey, man, hey, son, love you too. So left for work. Uh, well, work was a normal day. And uh, it was pretty late, probably a, not quite uh, midnight when I got home. And uh, like normal, um, you know, just kind of cracked open a beer, went out to the back uh, backyard of the deck. Uh, usually my dad is there to kind of greet me and, um, you know, we'll kind of uh, just chat, have a beer together. Uh, he wasn't there that night, though. Um, I'm kind of sitting out in the backyard, just kind of relaxing. And then all of a sudden I hear really like loud screeching sounds, like tire screeching sounds. And then probably I didn't really think much of it. And then maybe an hour later, I, uh, gone to bed and police officer comes to the door and, um, you know, I get up, I'm like, who in the world's, you know, knocking on the door this late. So I open up the door. It's a police officer. Um, I don't, I, even then I don't think too much of it because, um, they've, they kind of know him, uh, since he's been living in the same area for so long, going to the same place with his buddies. So sometimes they'll see him and, you know, kind of offer him a ride home, which is super cool by them. Uh, so I assume it was going to be something like that, but it was not. He told me, Hey, so, you know, it's probably something about, it's, it's something about your dad. You may want to go get your mother. So I went and got her. Uh, and then that's when he, you know, kind of broke the news that he was, uh, run over by a truck and was killed unfortunately so that's kind of how that played out not only was he run over by a truck but it was also a hit and run so why why do you think has the person who who conducted it ever been caught no uh they haven't and even when it happened uh, as soon as i heard that the only witness was a uh, it happened to be a homeless guy at the time and uh and i've worked closely with law, law enforcement i've worked in the field before so i kind of know the deal when especially if it's a hit and run and there's not really a credible witness to go by, then it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's a long stretch to be able to find the person that actually did it unless they come out and admit it themselves. So that's kind of something that I had to accept. 
Um, You're almost like the perfect advocate for safer streets because not only was this an example of the road not being bright enough and the and the driver going too fast, but also it's just clearly like there are no cameras around to to hold anybody accountable for their actions. So this person can just get off scot free from murdering somebody. Uh, yeah, that's true as well. I mean, I'm not the hugest advocate for cameras per se. Um, however, just because like, I'm, I'm more of a, I kind of lean more toward a, a, a more, more toward freedom than anything. However, I do understand that there needs to be things in, you know, put in place to hold people accountable. So, you know, Hey, maybe cameras will, you know, more cameras will kind of fix the issue. And, uh, I know the lowering the speed limits, I'm not the biggest fan on, I think more so, uh, drivers just need to be held accountable, but unfortunately with the kind of dwindling police force and by more policing do you mean like having more policing police like just cruising the streets on a daily basis is that, is that what i kind of is that what you mean so i i, I kind of so what i actually think real good policing is is not just like police that kind of it's it's a negative uh, perception of police for for citizens to see police only in their cruisers and like just riding around their cruisers completely blocked off and protected from everyone and you kind of lose that human element. So what I would actually like to see, and I think they're actually starting to do, is that they're going to have an unarmed police unit kind of patrolling around the streets, like not in cars, like walking around patrolling. And with that, I think people will kind of not only held, like hold other people accountable, but they'll kind of hold themselves uh, kind of more accountable as well. If you know, Especially if they know that they can turn the corner and there can be an officer standing right there. You know, I want to talk about that point specifically because one of the, things that this article talks about is how there has definitely been more people of color and more black people uh, disproportionately injured and harmed and even killed due to uh, our transportation. Um, and East of 82nd is what this article talks about, specifically being, being uh, leading to a lot of, of deaths. Um, and so how do you advise that the police department, in the perfect situation, how would you see the police department um better handling and holding more accountability for people uh when they're going to neighborhoods where uh they might not be as trusted as they are uh among other other areas it's gonna be difficult no matter what just because i understand like well a a lot of the public should understand is that police being a police officer is not an easy job at all it's not easy to become a police officer um, it's not easy to be a police officer, especially in the current kind of political climate as well. With that whole kind of neg- negative connotation with police officers, I think police officers themselves should also hold that responsibility to know that there is a non-negative connotation that comes with, you know, having the badge and the gun. So when you're going into a neighborhood that you know is going to be like a minority neighborhood or a majority black neighborhood, um, that should be the, in the forefront of your mind, not in the back of your mind, in the forefront of your mind. Um, I don't necessarily think that, you know, they're targeting people of color or anything like that. Like the poor people isn't like black people, right? Poor people is everyone. However, there just happens to be a higher percentage of blacks that are, you know, uh, kind of in in the lower income neighborhoods, which is why you're seeing people of color being hit in these kind of lower income uh, areas and neighborhoods. Talked about what the police can do to to hold people accountable more, but what do you want listeners or myself drivers uh people in cars and pedestrians to take away from from your experience which is the worst experience you can have uh related to uh, a driver and a pedestrian i'd say for drivers and listeners um that are listening in you know hey just just you know leave your house maybe five ten minutes early 
Um, you know, so you don't have to try to make that, that close yellow light or something, you know, you're not yeah. forced to kind of rush yourself. And if you don't try, you know, you don't uh, cross at the crosswalk, at least make sure that it's completely clear before you cross. Because one of the big issues, it's not just the fault of drivers either, because there are a lot of pedestrians in dark clothing. They're not at crosswalks and they're just kind of like run almost running out into the street, like just right. trying to cross real quick. And they're not really paying attention to, uh, to cars that are trying to get by but as well as with drivers where you know if you see a pedestrian or you see a cyclist like it's not a big deal dude you might have to slow down for like two seconds right you know, let, let the cyclist pass or you know let the let, let you know stop and just let that person cross the street it'll take 30 seconds out of your day like you know it's not going right. to kill you right so that's what i would say Folks, that's our show. No quote of the week. We're actually looking to end our shows a little differently than we have in the past, and we would actually love your input on how to end our show. So if you have any ideas on what our ending segment should look like, uh, let us know your thoughts. Send me your ideas at hsanders at wweek.com. That's H-S-A-N-D-E-R-S at wweek.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Till next time, this has been The Dive Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. It includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast Mm -hmm.